You're listening to the Family Discipleship Podcast, a podcast of training the church. Right. This is Adam Griffin. And before I introduce you to our distinguished guests, let me first introduce my two lovely co-hosts. First, the habitually happy Cassie Bryant. How are you doing today, Cassie? I'm great. I loved how you worked in habit. Oh, in thank our, you. And I, that's very nice. <laughs> well, I, I think uh, our guest gets a nickel every time we say uh, habit. habit on this podcast. You're going to be rich, Justin. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, we're joined by the consistently stunning Mrs. Chelsea Griffin. How are you doing on today, Chelsea? Happy to be here. Great. And what a distinct honor to have with us on today's episode, a lawyer, an author, a husband, a father, <laughs> Mr. Justin Early. How you doing today, Justin? I'm, I'm doing great. I'm doing really great. It sounded like somebody chuckled on me when you said lawyer. Oh. I, I did, because I was thinking we yeah, uh, was boring lawyer is how he described himself. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> but lawyer's not the only thing you do. You also speak a lot into people's habits, and uh, I think of you as like the king of habits. Man, do you write so much about habits? Is Are habits hard for you, and that's why you write about them? Or is you are you leading the most disciplined life, and you're just helping the rest of us along? Wow. Bingo, Adam. We're getting right to it. I write about this stuff not because I'm uh, so qualified or good at it, but because I need it so badly. So (laughs) I actually started on anybody who's read my first book, The Common Rule, knows uh, I I got onto this whole train of thinking about habits because my life fell apart in an anxiety crash. And then a big part of the Lord bringing me through recovery was figuring out that the spiritual disciplines really do change your life. Yeah. Yeah. I loved The Common Rule. I read it in early 2020, I think, or late 2019, which is perfect timing because the pandemic hit. Yeah. And it gave us an opportunity to really like scale back on a lot of our time commitments and then kind of uh, create Mm -hmm. some of those things in our lives. It was such a blessing to us. That's great. Oh, that's fantastic. I'm so thankful to hear that. Yeah. I feel like if I had written the book, The Common Rule, I would feel extra guilt and shame anytime my habits fell apart. You feel like you're able to operate in a lot of freedom. You feel like you're able to walk yeah, a disciplined yeah. life and give yourself a break when you when your habits fall apart. You know, I do, I do, and I think that is mostly just the Lord's grace. But yeah. I think because it is so true that I came, I came to habits by way of failure. I mean, I really did get to a low point in my life, and because my experience with habits has been thinking about ways that the Lord can habitually interrupt your day with these levers of grace, like small actions on our part yeah. that mm-hmm. seem to have outsized effect on our life. Like the only reason for that is, is grace, right? And so yeah. I, when, I, when I think about it, when I mess up or when I get off my routines, I, I just often think about going back to the, the arms of the Father, the arms of grace. Like life is better there. I'm not doing this stuff to impress God. I'm doing this stuff because He loves me and That's this is so a better good. way to live. So yeah. I really do. And I, I really do. And I encourage anybody listening, like it really is possible to think of discipline and habits in that way is nothing legalistic, but yeah. everything gracious. That's great. So good, man. That's great. All right. For those who are listening, who don't know you, Justin, maybe they haven't read the common rule yet or don't know about the book we're mm-hmm. about to talk mm-hmm. about. Would you just introduce yourself? Yeah. But also, could you tell us a little bit about your family? Yeah, I could do both. I'm doing both. I'll start with the family. So um, I'm married to my wife and friend and compatriot in all things, Lauren. And we have four boys. They are Wit, Ash, Colt, and Shep. They are, as of the recording of this podcast, nine, seven, five, and three. So we have a wild house with a lot of things that get broken. 
all the time. <laughs> um, I am a lawyer. That's my, my main job, business lawyer. But as I said earlier, my life fell apart in my early years of lawyering. I used to be a missionary in China. And in the transition from being a missionary to lawyering, I had a real anxiety crash. And the Lord really used the spiritual disciplines and a lot of revelations on habits and their important in our, importance in our life to bring me to a new place with Him. And um, I've been writing about that ever since. So The Common Rule is my first book about um, spiritual disciplines as in your routines of work and technology. And then Habits of the Household is my second book where I really kind of realized, oh my gosh, I should apply all, apply all this stuff to parenting and kids because it matters there too. That's yeah, good. Awesome. Well, we're so excited to have you on with us and uh, excited to talk about all these topics. So thanks for being here. Uh, one of the we- reasons that we wanted to talk with you because you've written this book, Habits of the Household. So I guess that's your second book. Is that right? Okay. Maybe that's- I I didn't exactly know. Maybe right. you wrote yeah. a dozen books. I don't know. You have a lot of habits. Um, but for those... <laughs> well, second published book. There's all, all kinds of one hidden sitting on my hard drive that no one cares about. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Um, well, for those who haven't read the book yet, can you tell us a little bit about Habits of the Household and why you wanted to write it? Yeah, yeah, I can. Um, the best way to come at this is the, the story that gave me the light bulb. So I'm putting my boys to bed one night, and uh, this is a couple years ago. We had three boys at the time, and it's even worse now. But even then, it was, you know, bedtime with the boys is just quite a scene. We, so you know, we're talking about bathwater on the floor. Um, they're into this thing where they r- escape from the bath and then start a naked wrestling match in their room. So that's going on. <laughs> board, board books often get involved as weapons. And it's really fun on the one hand. But on the other hand, I, I often do this. I flip into this mode of just uh, just kind of yelling everybody back to order and to bed. And, and I, I'll sort of lose my temper. And it was one of those nights where I just started, you know, shouting about how how much people were going to get injured if they didn't put their PGs on, PJs on right now. And I give them I give them like a short prayer and say I love them and I turn out the lights and I'm standing in the hallway this night and I just have this realization that this is normal for me. Which sounds like not that much of an epiphany, but on that night my epiphany mm. was it's just totally normal that I just start using my anger to control them and to get them to bed. And it's a weird shift when I'm like, God loves you. I do too. Good night. And so I was confessing um, this to one of my pastors because remember the guy talking here is the one who just wrote a book on on habits and spiritual disciplines and how they can bring us closer to the Lord and our work and technology rhythms. And I was just realizing I have not really thought about this in terms of my normal life with my family. Like what it feels like to live with me is not always a wonderful thing at all. And um, my my pastor at the time, his name was Derek. He recommended I try this bedtime liturgy with the boys to help sort of steward them to bed. And so I did it. I, I, I wrote my first bedtime liturgy and I, tr- I try it out with the boys. It, it goes like this. I, 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 just, I write it out and I say to them, um, can you see my eyes? And they say, yes. And then I say, can you see that I see your eyes? And they say, yes. And then I say, do you know that I love you? They say, yes. Then I say, you know that I love you no matter what bad things you do? They say, yes. Then I say, you know I love you no matter what good things you do? They say, yes. And then I end with, and who else loves you like that? And they say, God does. Or at least that's what they're supposed to say. But you can imagine the first time trying this with a three-year-old. <laughs> like grandma. Absolute, <laughs> absolute chaos. Yeah. I mean, first of all, the eye thing, they're like, took as an invitation to poke my eyes. Um, <laughs> the, do you know that I love you no matter what bad things you do? They're like, no, you, you don't like you know? um, and but I think I had done enough thinking about habits by that time to you know at least know that nothing's a habit or a pattern until it is so a good parent perseveres mm-hmm. 
And this is the light bulb yeah. moment. To, this is where I'm getting to the real answer to your question, Chelsea. Another night, like two weeks later, equally as messy, just as much bathwater on the floor. Board books are still weapons. But I remember that night, one of my sons lying in bed and he says, can we have our bedtime blessing now? And we had this moment of exchanging just sort of this back and forth about how God loves us no matter what good or what bad things we do, i.e. no matter how bad they were tonight, no matter how impatient I was tonight, because we were still both. And I remember standing in the hallway that night thinking, oh, that's the power of a good parenting habit. It's not that it cleans up your life and makes everything easy. Mm. It, it changed my knee-jerk reaction to an ordinary mm. moment and acted as this sort of opening door to, to grace coming into that moment. And that's when I was like, I need to look for these everywhere. If, if little ordinary mm. patterns can create extraordinary spiritual moments in our house, I should be looking for them everywhere. And that's wow. what the book Coco. is about, looking yeah. for them everywhere. Justin, you're like speaking our language because moments is one of our like buckets we think about family discipleship in and how... There's these ordinary everyday moments that we have with our kids and they're like, they can be wasted, but they also can be leveraged for really great conversations. And you talk about that in the book with these small patterns that you notice with Lauren and the boys like waking and meals and car rides and bedtimes um, and how those in, in moments of worship too, and guided by habits they could, that could accurately be seen as liturgies. So can you explain that concept yeah. a little bit, habits as household liturgies? Yeah. So I, one of the things that is so interesting about habit for me and why I think it's so important for Christians to talk about it is because I would suggest that habits are little liturgies. And the way to think about that is just to, if you, you know, some people have never heard the word liturgy or not really interested in it, but a liturgy is just any sort of pattern of worship that we go through. You could think church service or, you know, repetitive prayer. But what happens is it's a small thing you do over and over that becomes semi-conscious, maybe even unconscious. And you do it in order to become formed in the worship of the God that we honor in those liturgies. And what I think is so important is that the definition of habit and liturgy are actually so similar. They're both things we do over and over, small things, semi-consciously to unconsciously. The big difference is just that liturgy admits that it's an act of worship. Habits often obscure what we worship, but that, of course, doesn't mean we're not worshiping. The question is not whether we're worshiping, it's just what. And mm -hmm. I think once you have the light bulb moment that your ordinary patterns of your days and weeks are accurately described as little routines of worship that are forming your soul. That's when you, and this is not, this should not result in guilt or over being overwhelmed. This should result in an awe-inspiring beauty because suddenly you open your eyes and you realize the ordinary stuff is the extraordinary stuff. Like the normal domestic moment is the place of incredible spiritual mm -hmm. formation. Yeah, And that to me is incredibly exciting as you think about parenting. Mm -hmm. I mean, you're in a world of thick spiritual formation where bedtimes, mealtimes, car rides, how you pass a plate at dinner, how you pray, everything, how you share is the training ground for hearts to learn to love God and love neighbor. And that to me is incredibly exciting. Justin, I, I love everything you're saying. And let me tell you, I absolutely loved your book. I think your book is fantastic. It's one of the best books oh, on you. family discipleship and parenting yeah. I've read in a really long time. And I really appreciated mm -hmm. your insights. My favorite chapter in your book is the one on discipline. And you talk about, you have all these categories. We can talk through all of them if we had all day, but you talk about how they fit into forming parents, forming children,
children, forming families, uh, different areas of habit like work, play, bedtime, mealtimes. But my favorite by yeah. far was the yeah. one on discipline. And you had this really great chart on instincts in moments of discipline. Uh, you have a series of things that we think and then our reactions. I'll, I'll just list a couple of them for the listener who hasn't read the book yet. Like you say, if we think in a moment of misbehavior, this is an insult to me personally, then we respond with bitterness or revenge. Or if we think when we see our kids misbehaving, I want them to feel pain or shame for what they've done. And then we react with kind of a revenge or abuse or uh, one other one that I really liked you said, or if we think I'm frustrated and exhausted and I need to assert control to get the right result as soon as possible, then our reaction is that kind of impatient behavior management that sounds like it was a little bit of even your testimony of why you wrote this book. But can you, yes. can you speak a little <laughs> bit? <laughs> can you speak a little bit to why parents need to develop better habits? habits of discipline instead of just rolling with our instincts? If we just parent from our instincts, how that's not our best version of what we're trying to accomplish? Yes, absolutely. And, and I can't emphasize enough the things that you read that I wrote are descriptions of me, by the way. Like I am the, <laughs> I, I write this book, I, I say, uh, I write from a messy house. I mean, I write from a messy heart, a messy soul. These, these mm. are my temp temptations. So and I think one of the things that I realized as I was thinking through how habits relate to discipline is that they're actually essential because I think that in moments of discipline, we have all the wrong instincts. What I mean by that is we know if we were to read a great parenting book or hear a good sermon or even just sit down with a friend and talk about parenting, we kind of know in our head, you know what, I'd really like to react more patiently to my child. I'd really like to say this kind of thing or think this kind of thing. The problem is, in moments of discipline, we're in those knee-jerk reaction moments of instinct. And they're yeah. often anger and control. I mean, that's because like you just got hit in the face. Like if, you, if you're me you're, or you just <laughs> saw a window in your house break or you're seeing one of your sons, you know, get barraged by another son or a toy taken or just, you're, you know, you're tired and you just got home and now somebody's yelling at you. And so we're in the realm of knee-jerk instincts. And we need um, not just to know what we ought to do in those moments. That is super important. That's kind of the worldview education stuff, absolutely important. But we also need the practice-based formation stuff of habit, which is what is going to interrupt my otherwise sinful knee-jerk reaction that is always ever-present with me in those yeah. moments. And that's why I'm really interested in practicing habits of discipline because they are ways, for example, that one of my favorite ones with, with my boys that, that I'm really working on now, not mastered, but pause prayers. So one of the things I'm trying to work on is before going into a moment of discipline with my boys, briefly pausing. This is probably like picture like on the way up the stairs because you hear fighting or yelling. You're just saying, Lord, help. I mean, it could be that simple, but I'm often saying something like, Lord, help me remember that I am more like them than I think. Yeah. And help me to respond with the grace and truth that you give me. Because, you know, I too hate it when people take my stuff. I hate it when people ruin my <laughs> stuff. I hate it when people are, you know, say, say mean things to me. And I just like adults, adults are like kids with better mm -hmm. behavior management, right? But we're trying <laughs> right. not just to control behavior. We're trying to steward their heart. And that right. means we yeah. need to interrupt our behavior management techniques and actually go into that moment and speak to them the way Christ speaks to us. Like look for the heart and look for ways to shape the heart. And habits play a big role in that. Hey friends, it's March and that means Easter is right around the corner. In fact, Easter is in March this year. It's part of the reason I'm pumped to tell you about one of our sponsors who's got a really special Easter deal. This is a great time to get some new resources to disciple your family. Our friends over at Lithos Kids are having an Easter basket sale. 
They've got the brand new Little Pilgrim's Big Journey complete box set. It's now available. Guys, I can't tell you how much I love this resource. If you don't have it, you need to go check it out. Kids and parents have loved reading about Bunyan's beloved tale of Christian and his adventure to follow the king's path to Celestial City. And now you can get all three books in one box set along with a map and it comes with a coloring book and the whole thing is just 60 bucks. You can use the code FAMILY10 to get 10% off your entire order at Lithos Kids right now. So what a great discipleship opportunity. To find all this, go to lithoskids.com, see all the items in their Easter promo, including their new release, The Parables of Jesus, and the Kingdom of God Bible Storybook. Guys, we love Lithos Kids. You're going to love them too. Go check it out today, lithoskids.com, and remember the promo, FAMILY10, to get 10% off your entire order. Hey listeners, we live in a world where anxiety, depression, and weariness seem to be the basic descriptors of our lives. For many of us, our calendars and our plates are overfull, yet our lives still lack joy. But it doesn't have to be this way. Jesus invites you to have true and abundant joy that's only found in Him. In John 15, Jesus reveals three very surprising pathways to finding this type of joy. You can discover these pathways in the new book, Overflowing Joy, by author and Bible teacher Tara Dew. This is available at LifeWay.com, and you can save 40% off with the code JOY40. Again, that's J-O-Y, the number four, the number zero, at LifeWay.com. The new book is Overflowing Joy by Tara Dew. Check it out. So in your book, you wrote that by nature, discipline happens in the moments when we're not prepared Mm -hmm. for it. I'll affirm that that's true. In our last episode, we talked about having prepared strategies and language for leveraging those types of moments. Can you tell us some like examples of how you guys do that in your home and how the gospel impacts what you say to your kids in those types of moments? Yeah, you know, I like I like this question because it relates back to the story we started with. um, And that was so we've developed this bedtime routine of talking about the love of God for us to where I now ask the kids, you know, do you know that I love you no matter what bad things you do? They know the answer. They know yeah. in their heads what that gospel response is. But that's that's in their heads, right? So yeah. I remember, and I tell this story in the book, I, I remember just this wonderful moment with my kids about two years ago where I really caught them in, I caught them in direct disobedience. It was like I put them to bed one night and I heard them moving all their stuff to the other kid's bunk bed <laughs> and I opened the door and I'm, yeah, I'm like, you know what? You're moving like 50 stuffed animals and all these blankets and stuff and this is really interrupted, but that, it looks fun. Go ahead, try a slumber party. And of course, it didn't go well. They were talking all night. So the next night, I'm like, you can't do that, right? Like, you really can't do that. We had a meeting of the minds, verbal contract was made, all this stuff. They <laughs> promised me they would not move the stuffed animals again. And I remember shutting the door. And when I opened it, um, well, I, I waited actually and listened. And I heard all the movement again and opened the door, turned on the light, caught him red handed, right? So, and I remember my son, Asher, who is, um, he's seven now. So I think he was like five or six at the time. He just looked so embarrassed and sad. You know, sometimes like Mm -hmm. the kids are defiant and they're like, you know, you really got to work through helping them to repentance. This was one of those moments where you saw the the fear, the sadness, the shame on their face. And I was thinking Mm -hmm. of all, I, I go through a lot of habits of discipline in the book and things about confession and all that stuff. But here in this moment, I was just realizing, oh, he's, he feels guilty. He feels shameful. 
And it was just one of those moments that I could level with him and just use the words we've said back and forth so many times to now come into a real moment. So I, I think I just said, you know, Asher, did you directly disobey what I said? And he, you know, even started to, to cry as he said, yes. And, and then I was just like, well, what do I say about how I and God feel about you when you do bad things? And I remember the, the wheels just started churning because he knew the answer. He was like, that you love me anyway. Mm-hmm. And that was one of those moments where you say it over and over and over, but then you get when, and again, this is the beauty of interruptive habits. You get a chance to actually work it into a real moment Mm. and it's normal, but it takes on all this meaning. And I think for him that night, he experienced a new way of realizing, oh, actually, really, when I'm embarrassed and when I'm bad and when I should be getting a spanking or something. So here's somebody saying they love me no matter what bad things I do. And that was a, that was a beautiful moment for that night. And those are the kinds of moments I, I want to encourage parents to look for, like, practicing this stuff is not going to make your life easy tomorrow. I promise. Parenting's always going to be hard. <laughs> yeah. It can lead to these beautiful moments where you're actually starting to see hearts formed a little bit more in the image of Jesus. And that's mm. what we're looking for. That's good. So good. You had mentioned apologies as confession. You kind of just talked right there about confession, but in your book, there's a, a yeah. chapter on discipline. Can you kind of explain um, when you say uh, parents should insist on apologies as confession? Kind of explain that idea. Yeah, I yeah, I think about this a lot because um, I'm in church every week and I'm invited slash told to, you know, confess and use <laughs> yeah. this prayer to confess, right? And if you're if you you know if you go to church, you realize like this is a this is a good thing because I don't show up on a Sunday eager to talk about all the bad things in my heart and that I've done. But what happens most Sundays is that I get invited to speak the words I didn't know that I need to speak, mm. to feel the things that I didn't know I needed to feel about them. And and that is like quintessential liturgy, right? Somebody invites you to say the words you needed to say. Yeah. And by cooperating, you uncover the what, what God is doing underneath and in your heart. And I just, I say it like that because I think it's important to remember that yes, in the end, we want kids to actually voluntarily be repenting and confessing um, in real and heartfelt ways, but they're children and they need our help to learn that. And so I just really encourage parents to, you know, have them say what went wrong, even though, you know, it's going to be like, I'm sorry, I hit you. I'm sorry. I took that, you know, that, like, that's okay. That's okay. Like we're, mm-hmm. we're practicing. And, um, yeah. I think, I think practicing saying those words is the way that you begin to feel them. That's good. Um, and we do this for reconciliation too. I mean, I talk mm-hmm. about, I think it's really important when you get that moment of like, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? And, th- and they say the things they're supposed to say, but you can tell, you know, nobody's really reconciled yet. We've got this little follow-up thing called the brother's hug where they have to, you know, you don't, you got to be wise as a parent. Like you don't apply this in, in all moments if, if somebody's still really upset or it's just not working. But nine times out of 10, we say, all right, time for the brother's hug. And that's where they have to hold on to each other until they both start laughing or smiling, or at least can crack a genuine smile. And it's just one of those things that helps us practice reconciliation because I, I like to remind people, you're living in a house with human beings, family, this, you're going to get mad at each other. You're going to hurt each other. A, it is a um, given of life that we are going to sin against each other. What is not a given is whether we will reconcile. And practicing small acts that lead us into confession 
forgiveness and reconciliation. That's really the difference between a house, I think, that's being formed in the image of the story of the Bible and a house that just knows it but doesn't act like it. And it's a huge difference. And you're so right about the brother's hug when— it's wild how uh, when we, we make our kids do something kind of like that, it doesn't have a title, but maybe we'll just adopt that one. But it always, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, it yeah, always sure. does yeah, result in it. laughter. <laughs> and I, I don't know why, and particularly our oldest one, he just, he, he just falls apart. He cannot stop laughing when I'm like, okay, now you guys have to hug each other until, till I say stop, you know? <laughs> oh, I love it. You know, Chelsea, I actually came across a study after writing this and somebody told it to me. They were like, Hey, I read that thing about the brothers. Hug. Did you know? And they like, emailed me some study that if human beings hold on to each other for something like average of nine seconds, your brain starts to release these new chemicals and endorphins. I'm like, huh? Yeah. So maybe, I mean, that's it. And I'm just like the way that God made us, you know, it's just like makes more sense. And I was like, oh, well, there's another reason, you know, we need to start selling like little Capri Suns of oxytocin. Uh, Put women into preterm labor. (laughs) Okay. Um, (laughs) Chelsea's a nurse. Yes. uh, Prolonged (laughs) physical contact longer than 10 seconds does create an oxytocin release, which is, that's the same hormone that women um, have a, a high endogenous level of when they're in active labor, but it's also called the bonding hormone. So um, men even have uh, a release yeah. of oxytocin when their baby's born. And, and we have this all the time. You know, it's really common. But yeah, wow. that's that's the hormone we use to induce labor. And just, you know, an induction of labor in the hospital, we use a synthetic form called Pitocin. But oxytocin is that hormone that, yeah, and that's okay, why we don't want, okay. you know, our daughters, you know, going around hugging all the boys and stuff because it, it really does. It, <laughs> yeah, it creates it a chemical them. response yeah. that, that bonds tells, them. <laughs> tells you. Yes. Oh, um, my gosh. They're you know, fascinating. You can, wow. So no hugs over nine seconds with with other kids. You get a side hug, (laughs) one Mississippi, two Mississippi, done, you know, until you're older. So, uh, but yeah, that's a real thing. And honestly, though, it's really like profound to think about how God would make us that way and how how safe and cared for we should feel within our households, you know, that we have a chemical response to Mm -hmm. a hug from a brother um, and how just thoughtful God is. He nailed it. He nailed it big time. Nailed it. (laughs) He nailed it. Yeah, that's that's beautiful. Wow. I'm so glad to be armed with this knowledge now. <laughs> <laughs> Habits of the Hug. That's the next book. Let's do it. Yes. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, well, Justin, sometimes we like to talk about uh, what goes imperfectly in parenting on our podcast. Um, can you share any examples for, from your home that could remind our listeners that you and Lauren aren't perfect either? Get real with us. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. Come over anytime. <laughs> the ways are, you know, more numerous than the sands. So I, I like, I think screen time is one that we've been thinking about. Re- well, actually forever and, and even now. So we started our parenting with just, you know, throwing an iPhone to the back seat to try to get the kid in the car seat to calm down and stop crying, which is normal. I mean, and now, you know, we write and talk about rhythms of screen time. And yet we're still figuring this out too. I mean, we just bought the boys a Nintendo Switch for Christmas, which by the way, was like a miracle because the next week we had to start quarantining for almost a month for COVID. And it was, we were like, we were saved by Mario Kart and Smash Brothers. This is like this incredible gift. Um, And so I I think I I say this one because we write about how, and I say we because Lauren had such an impact on this chapter on screen time. We write about how 
you really need to be think of, thinking about formation in, in screen time rhythms and how more is happening than just how much time is too much. I mean, we're being formed by stories, formed by media, formed by our isolated interactions and our communal interactions, all this stuff. But yeah. I just like, we go in and out of times where we're like, whoa, we just went on a bender. That was way too much this weekend. Or we, we reevaluate and say like, we, man, we shouldn't have wanted, let them watch that movie. Or we watch something where we're like, yeah, we would not watch that again. And it's just, I mean, it's really important, I think, that people think about it. But you've got to know that with screen time and with any other habit, we are not trying to impress God. Like he's yeah. not impressed by our habits. He's impressed by his son, Jesus Christ, who died and rose again in our stead. And I just like to remind people that none of our habits will change God's love for us. And that's good news. Mm-hmm. But what's even better news is that God's love for us can and should change our habits. So if you're, if you feel like a failure in your parenting and your habits and your screen time, whatever it is, I say join the club. Like me and Lauren feel like that most days. And that's why we try to cling to this stuff because we actually believe the Lord is working in failures like us to love our children and disciple them into people that look just a little bit more like his son, Mm. Jesus. Amen. That's so helpful. Thank you. Thank you for that. All right. Well, at the very, very end of the book, in the epilogue, you know, what comes after the content, you give the readers this family age chart. I know you have, you you give them a picture from your journal, but then a blank one for them to fill out. And I I loved it. This, filling out this chart, you kind of have your ages and your spouse's ages over on the left and you have each of your kids' ages and you kind of are managing, you know, uh, what are the windows of time you have to do, to accomplish what? And mm-hmm. one, mm-hmm. this made me feel very old as it showed me like how, how yes. old I am compared <laughs> right. to my kids and how soon I am to be 50, how soon I am to be 60. Uh, but it also helped me wrap my yeah, head around yeah. the actual window of time I have left with my kids in my house. Yeah, I'm yeah. wondering, what was that exercise like for you? When you first are sitting down and contemplating the window of time you have when your kids live at home, what came to mind for you, for you and Lauren. Yeah. Well, first of all, uh, the listeners should know that this was totally random for me, slash, I guess that means providential, but it seemed random. I was just sitting at a coffee shop working on a client email or something. I can't remember when I suddenly thought like, how how old will Wit be when I'm 50? And I remember writing it down and then I thought, well, how old will Ash be? And then, then I was like, well, I guess we got to do all of them. And, and I <laughs> wrote out the chart, Adam, that you just described because yeah. I'm a weird guy who does stuff like that. <laughs> and and I think my my reaction was actually one of sort of revelation and gratitude because it's it's actually very possible and normal. So if you do this, and I'd encourage you to do it, don't feel bad when you're like, oh my gosh, I'm old and time is fleeting. Like, yeah, when you look at your ages next to your kids' ages, you'll kind of realize that you've got uh, 10, maybe, maybe 15, maybe less than 10, depending on where you are. You've got just a window of time that are actually the real good years for formation before you all start to part ways. And and what I, and you know, obviously there's worlds of relationship and formation after kids leave the house. Right. There's worlds of things happening before they're even conscious in the house. But yeah. when you do the age chart, you'll see there's this really kind of little window of time where you really get to pattern your lives together, exchange time together, exchange words together. And I like to look at that and just think this is the school of love years. Okay. This is where the household is, there is no better place that teaches you how to love another human yeah. being and 
love God like the household does. And I think what's possible is to look at that time and realize that it's more important and 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 you you're gifted with this time. Like it's not just fleeting, it is fleeting, but it's also just it's weighty. Yeah. It, it is these are the years you get to form your children. And I think that's a healthy realization for anybody just to sort of zoom out and realize that vision of the future that you know, the Bible's often trying to do this to us, right? It's trying to get us to remember where we came from, remember what God did for us and remember where we're going. That's good. And it's a good opportunity to just remember what has been and what is to come for your family, step a little outside time and realize God has given you these years to steward. Steward them well, act intentionally in them because you will not always have them. And that's okay, but this is a real gift for you now. Okay, for our listeners who have to wait a few days after they order the book to get it and read it and all of that, what are like, for parents who've tried over and over to establish some habits and it just hasn't stuck or hasn't worked out. What would what are some just good tips for starting out? Or what would you tell the parent that's like, I want to get started today. I want to have this conversation with my spouse. Mm. What would you say while yeah. they kind of wait yeah, for the yeah, book? Yeah. Um, I would say to I would say to find community uh, because one of the things that is so important to me that I've realized in writing about habits is that the communal habits are the stickiest habits. Mm. And really, it's really, really, really hard to change outside of a community who also believes that you can change and will work with you and stay accountable to you. I mean, really, that's what the church is at its best. And But I think it's interesting, like Alcoholics Anonymous research would name this empirically, that human beings are very bad at changing on their own. What they need is a community of people around them that keep them accountable, stuff like Mm. that. And so it could start with, just a conversation with your spouse. It's like, I heard this podcast. Let's listen to it together and have a conversation. That that would be awesome. I think what is even more awesome is if you get together with your small group or maybe just your best friends, um, like have another couple over with a glass of wine or a cup of tea and just and talk about this stuff. It is impossible to underestimate how much more this stuff changes you when you do it with friends or with community. So like and this like this is true y'all for for me so just two nights ago i i was sitting out with my best friend steve and matt around a fire we're doing our regular accountability rhythm and almost the whole time we just talked about our our kids because we're all in the thick of these years i just described on the age chart of really trying to figure out how to care for them how to form them and we're talking about our impatience our anger our worries for them our fears for them the, the difficulties we're having in our marriage but just by virtue of talking about it with two other guys around a fire for an hour. We left better fathers, better husbands, better disciples. It's good. And and life actually changes. So I would just encourage you to listen to this podcast with some friends, read the book with some friends, have that conversation with your spouse, think communally. Yeah. That's, that's so good. And that's so true. I think Adam and I both feel that when, even if it's not related to parenting, but just anything, you read something good, something gets, yeah. And it anything, doesn't really feel right, like it, right. it's really added until you've really told somebody else about it or shared it with somebody you know? And so, um, yeah, that's really great that you have that in your small group. I love that. Uh, well, Justin, when, when a mom or dad gets to the end of your book, what is the main thing you hope that they really walk away with? Or how do you hope that your book could um, shape the way people view God? I hope by the time people get to the end of the book that they see that God is the truest and most loving parent that any of us have. That's good. And that most of parenting is not so much about how we are shaping our kids, but rather how God, the good parent, mm-hmm. is shaping us yeah. and our kids. And I think when we realize that sort of chain of life, that beautiful idea that, that God is forming his children named us, 
And, yeah. and then we get this amazing capacity to be parents and form children, you know, who we call our kids. There's just this beautiful merger of being children of God and acting like God. And I think realizing that you've got the perfect father, you know, it, yeah. you, you, you have everything you need in Jesus to parent well. And so do your kids because they have Jesus too. Looking up to him, parenting is essentially about looking up to God and realizing that he is all the parent you ever needed and trying to reflect that light and that glory and those smiles mm. back to your kid. I hope people see that because when you see Jesus, you'll parent well. That's great. Before we let you go, Justin, would you mind just per- personally sharing with us the prayers that you have for your kids right now. Like if our listeners want to pray for you and the early family, what can they be asking God for on your behalf? Mm. <laughs> Tempted to say something super profound, but I'll tell you what we were praying for last night at our family devotion time. We were praying <laughs> that we would all learn to complain less and be kinder to each other. Um, and maybe that's what that's valid. listeners nope. should know because yeah, we're, yeah. we're I don't know. I'm writing a book about this and talking about this, but look, our breakfast time looks like y'all's breakfast time. Everybody's complaining about their bowl of cereal or not having the right milk or something. And <laughs> we're just trying, like, honestly, so school of love 101, we're just trying to remember that you, we don't have to yell at each other. We can speak kindly to each other. We can ask, and this is look, for Lauren and I too, because we'll just, you know, we'll snap back. And so you can pray that we'll continue to learn to be kind, patient human beings with each other and, and you know, be a little bit more like Jesus to each other. Those in those hard moments because mm. the ordinary stuff yeah. is the extraordinary Absolutely. Stuff. Yeah. Wow. I'll take those prayers too, listeners. Seriously, pray that over the Brian <laughs> yeah, home yeah, too while you're at yeah. <laughs> Anybody else want to get in on this? Just yeah, like reading my mail over here. The whole discipline, I was like, oh my goodness. I'm, I'm always like, praying that your family would complain less, Cassie. That's one of my um, top prayers. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, honestly, Justin, I hope you keep writing. I hope you keep leading yeah. the way you are. I'm so grateful yeah. for your voice out there. I'm so grateful that you took the time to talk to a publisher about this idea and put it out there. I think it's going to be incredibly helpful yeah. for a lot of families. And I mean, I know I'm your target market, a dad who wants to lead his home spiritually, but I know there's a lot of people out there who need this truth, who need this word and be reminded of the grace of God in the midst mm-hmm. of it. Well, thank you so much. I'm so encouraged to be on here and I, I appreciate you guys. Beautiful comments, great questions. Y'all are the best. Keep fighting the good fight. Thanks. thanks, Justin. Well, thanks for listening, friends. If you think it's as important as we do to disciple our families, please give us a great review wherever you listen to podcasts and share this episode with one of your friends who could use it. If you want to keep up with us or join the conversation, you can follow the Family Discipleship Podcast on social media. We love you listeners. We'll be back next week with more great stuff. We'll see you then.